my fellow judges said, I can see why he chose that. I can see why he chose that. Brilliant, isn't it? They shouldn't win, though, because we live in a construction industry and a design industry that is so conservative that introducing new stuff, there's a break on it. A replacement for concrete, for example, is very difficult to get big contracts for it. And yet, we live in a digital age. We live in a digital age. The project we're working on at Eden, remember, is a project called How To. We want to create the world's first digital technical college coming out of what Eden is about. It began with an idea. The friend of mine was in India looking at carvings on temples, and he was told that there were only four people left in the whole of India that could actually carve the certain standard required for the restoration of Jain temples. These skills are going. Very strange. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I've actually had ghost problems, you know. We had to have exorcisms at Hellingham, but that's another story. Um, so anyway, the idea was to try and capture these skills and film them, and we were going to work with, with the guys who make Wii Man, so that you could actually create computer models of actually hand movements and everything else, and make them available as, a, a, as an international database working with UNESCO. But then, far from this highfalutin idea, it suddenly dawned on us the tremendous dearth in upgrading skills in this country. And there's a real block. And I'm now going to alienate probably the rest of the audience with this. The universities in this country have done us so much damage. You have no idea how much damage has been created by the great engineers of the past. Their work has been stolen. By the, engineer, by the universities of today to claim that they built the great country we live in. And when you see the funding that goes to the universities, when you see the funding that goes to further education colleges, and the fact that then those who run further education colleges think their job is to teach people of a blue-collar persuasion that their job and their future is about installation, you can see the rot setting in, can't you? Because we are not a nation of installers, we should not see ourselves as a nation of installers. If you are only an installer, you cannot design a new future. You need to understand the foundation learning that goes into being able to design new things. So what How To is about, is about, and we're not going to own it. We want to do it at Eden and get all sorts of people involved in it. Funny enough, we're hoping that two of our partners are actually Quite traditional, the BBC and the Open University. The Open University wants to come out and actually embrace further education. So we're going to have a meeting between white collar and blue collar, which is quite interesting, but I'm hoping we'll need some hybrid vigor. <laughs> so, the other thing is, um, I wasn't sure where to take this talk, is about negative people. One of the staff rules of Eden is, I kill negative people. <laughs> I cannot tell you how much I loathe negative people. Do you want to know how much I, I, I loathe them? But psychologically, when I make, say that, I very rarely smile. And I imagine, as I say it, disemboweling them very painfully. And then, if they're still alive, scrubbing them out with my heel. Because they are alien spawn. <laughs> oh, they are. Those negative people are alien spawn. They make a mistake. I'm not joking. Do you see me smile? No, I don't. They hate us. And you know why they hate us? Because we have dreams. We believe things are possible. We believe you can actually change the world. You can actually get people to work and do amazing things. They don't want that. 
amazing things is a sight to them. So if they've got dreams, I'll kill them first. I've seen whole organizations brought to their knees by negative people. And then the, the guys who finish it off completely are the accountants. After that, <laughs> they come and, and they are actually often quite positive. My partner is an accountant, so I say that as easy as But the problem with accountants is that they know the cost of everything, and they think that that is the same thing as business. Knowing the cost of things is really different to knowing the cost of not doing things. Do you know one of the things I love about what Rob does and the transition town? is he actually shows that things can be done. Okay? You guys can talk over there, let's do it. Let's get dirt under our fingernails. But we have, in our government, we have politicians, we have business advisors who think that money is all about cost. I'll give you an example. The Eden Project cost £144 million. We have created wealth in Cornwall, independently, people added up, of £1.2 billion. Yet you could never have borrowed 144 million. We needed state assistance to start with. We pay our own way now. The thing is, no one ever estimates where you are saving money. The great study that was done in Chicago, which I'll show you around, the restoration of the park in Chicago, they worked out that all the streets that fed into that park, the suicide rate went down, the violence went down, the depression went down, and added up the cost to the medical system of Chicago of that park being crap. And then you saw the costs not taken on board to restoring the park, it was chicken shit money. The investment was tiny for the outcome. So we need new economic systems, but they don't need to be hippie shit. They just need to actually be proper. I mean, isn't it amazing that, that, that you go to America, you go to fast food joints around here, right? We buy food, cheap food. The reason it's cheap, the reason most of the cheap food, this stuff is cheap, is because we pay the bills later on. For all the guys who die of heart disease or whatever, we pay that bill, just like we have to get rid of their trash. We do not cost in the proper cost of natural services. The Indian Project is going to radically change over the next two years, and border plants, border. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, guys, once you see one, you see more like that. <laughs> all you really need to know is doing the side up. And, and another thing, <laughs> You heard it here first. Okay. <laughs> the, truth, the truth is that plants don't sing and dance. I recently discovered that. It's taken a long time, I know, but, but it, the, the problem is to get people excited about plants is really tricky because there's a group of people who are excited about plants and then it seems to stop. But actually what we're about and what we all look to be interested in is the dermatology of the world, the skin of the world. Do you know how interesting microbes and bacteria are? Fungi, ooh, fungi. Let me tell you something that no one in this room knows. I've written a preface to a book about fungi, and I know nothing about fungi, and they say, that's terrific, maybe it'll be interesting. The first chapter, I felt I ought to read it, because it's a bit rude to write a preface to a book you haven't even read a word of, and I read it, and my hair stood up on end. Do you know there are fields in Dorking that have never been farmed. There's been no pesticides, no fertilizers, no tractors ever been on it. And they did an experiment which should have been on the front page of every damned newspaper <coughs> in the world. You know what they did? They piled up a huge pile of horse manure in the corner of the field. And then they did, did tests across this field 
and they discovered that in 48 hours, the nutrient from that manure had been equally distributed across the entire thousand acres. <coughs> Think about that. Just imagine that Jim Lovelock is actually right. That as opposed to Gaia, the world is a breathing planet, it's all connected, yada, 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 let's move some more moosely. He's right. Just imagine he's right when you've got a planet that is interconnected in a literal way rather than a philosophical way. What this got to do with regeneration is about linking things together. People don't link things together. So, for example, we are starting a, 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 an energy buying cooperative with Cornwall Council, the Healthcare Trust, the Emergency Services, and the 30 leading companies in Cornwall. Loads of people have done that, haven't they? It's a nice thing to do, but we're going to use our buying power to create a membership organisation to which other people can buy. But it's pretty simple. The interesting thing, though, is that when you start looking at fuel poverty, and you then get people to become members who are in fuel poverty, defined in certain ways, you can then link them in to retrofit schemes and link them into training through the Green Deal. And no one does that. No one actually does, you can do this, and then you do this, and then you do this, and then you do this. And I'm really looking forward to hearing what Kevin's going to talk about in a minute, but one of the things, we're, we're talking to an Egyptian guy who came up with this great concept, um, which is also to do with linking things up. In this country, we have things called affordable housing. We talk about affordable housing. In Cornwall alone, for our district councils, before the provincial authority, there were six different definitions of affordable housing. All the councillors love affordable housing until someone puts in a planning consent for affordable housing because what they mean by affordable housing is that their children can buy a house. What other people think is affordable housing is a guy on a dollar's three. And the hypocrisy about affordable housing is amazing. I used to live in a place called Foy, jolly smart in Cornwall. Want to buy build affordable housing down there, you have everybody have an arms. Really? Anyway, this guy, Samuel Saruris, has built a city of 200,000 houses. His phrase? Aspirational housing. Now that feels a bit cooler, doesn't it? And the idea that's absolutely terrific about aspirational housing is, how's about you build houses with one bedroom, a bathroom, and a living room with a cooker in it, but planning consent for four bedrooms and a brand new flat? Then you work with further education colleges and you say, if you want to buy this place, you don't have to put any money down for a moment. But what you've got to do is you've got to learn how to build the rest of this house. Pretty cool, isn't it? And then you look at the Grameen Bank and the way that they understood. I mean, Mohammed Yunus was brilliant with the Grameen Bank because he understood that when people said poor people didn't pay money back, he then didn't do the logical thing and say, oh, I won't pay money to poor people. He said, well, what could we do that would make poor people, poor people pay money back? He said, you organize them into gangs of eight borrowers. And you only lend money to the second two after the first two have paid their first installment back. So you create a group, a community group, community responsibility. The payback rates for the poor people from the Green Bank are greater than for the middle class of Totnes. I'm quite sure. I've heard things about the middle class of Totnes. <laughs> so, okay, stay with me for a moment. Affordable housing, which we now call aspirational housing. We've linked it to education and training to build the rest of your house, which will also give you added value, right? But what you do is you move further education to where you're going to build houses. You build a big warehouse inside which people teach people how to do this stuff. And you give the money for eight houses, eight family groups, and no one can live in them 
until all that is finished. It's bloody simple, actually, a lot of this stuff. But you need to have a movement. I'm really hoping that Kevin can shine a light on this because I actually think you can have a revolution in the house building in this country if you set it up like that. Reward, carrot, stick, carrot, stick. You learn something. You create a genius. He's telling me there's five minutes left. The last thing I want to talk about, if you'll notice I haven't really talked about regeneration, is language. I adore words. Have you ever spent a long time with environmentalists? Have you? Hands up, anybody who spent a long time with an environmentalist? Yeah, it looks like it. Ooh, I tell you what, they're really boring. I tell you what, most have got dandruff, and almost all of them, because they've got hair, and all of them have got bad breath. And they talk about senses of excellence, out-of-the-box thinking, joined-up thinking, leading edge, cutting edge, leading edge. Let's think the unthinkable. You see it all over the country. The language of the environment movement is so bad. Sustainability. My God. Come on. It is dull, isn't it? No one really knows what it means. It's sort of kind of sound science isn't it? You know the Natural History Museum? They did a survey of biodiversity. 80% of the people who went to the Natural History Museum had no idea what biodiversity was. That's a success, isn't it? In the truth, four million people a year go to the Natural History Museum. And if you were successful, I'm sorry, I could say for Eden, this isn't the criticism of the Natural History Museum, right? If we knew what we were doing, surely our culture would have changed. I'm being really cruel to say for Eden, yeah? If our language was good and we were creating a culture of change, genuinely, as opposed to preaching to each other and having nice little huddles, shouldn't the fact that four and a half million people a year go to the Natural History Museum be changing people's opinions of the fact that we are part of nature, not apart from it? That maybe it is worth nurturing our planet, that the laws of nature apply as much to us as anything else, and we should stop thinking about conquering nature, but being part of that nature, isn't that telling you something about us? That the language we use must be rubbish. Mustn't it? Because we're not making the changes that we would like to see. We howl and whistle to stop the crocodiles biting our toes under the bed. But the truth is, climate change almost killed us. I mean, forget about climate change actually happening. If you talk about climate change, it's almost like asking people for money now. We've managed to bore ourselves so much with a language that is not about the poetry of being alive at a fabulous place at a fabulous time. I make a plea to all of us to remember poetry. I changed radically myself doing Eden. I realized something fantastic when I got letters, not just one or two, but hundreds of letters about things at Eden. And I was expecting letters about the biomes, the fantastic biomes, the incredible visionary project we built. You know what I got the most letters about? The quality of the binding on the bamboo handrails and the fact that someone had bothered to carve beautiful butterflies inside those bamboos which you could only see if you look down. And when I got trying to get all these letters, I realized something really profound, which is that all of us actually love beauty. Beauty is such an important word and we've been embarrassed about beauty. But what's great about beauty is when you see beauty and you see the effort that people have put into doing things, 
It is life-affirming. It is totally life-affirming. So we need to use beautiful words and not be ashamed of beautiful words about what it is for us to be creaturely. Regeneration comes in many, many different forms. But actually, the key thing we all want to regenerate is a sense of belonging. C.S. Lewis, talking about him earlier, made the bestest quote ever, which is, while science can lead you to truth, only the imagination can lead you to meaning. And that is what we need. We need imagination, we need great storytelling, and we need a sense of meaning. And what that means is we need people like our friends over here to tell stories not about nuts and bolts, about the aspirational nature of what it is to be creatures living at this time that make us special. Why should it not be us that is creating a new renaissance? Have we got it? Or are we just simply pigs at a trough? If we are, we'll be found wanting for being homo sapiens. It will be a piece of wonderful hubris. But what an exciting thought that we might be living in a time when the challenges are worthy of getting out of bed with a number of people smart enough to actually grab the future with both hands and a pirate grip.